You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in. It's a rainy afternoon in Happy Valley here on a Tuesday, and it is another important Big Ten week for Penn State football as they look to improve upon their 7-0 record. Another matchup on ABC, 3.30 kickoff in East Lansing this Saturday. As usual, the second episode of the week on Thursday. Sean and I will dive more into uh, a preview among ourselves with predictions for the matchup between Michigan State and Penn State. But we do have a bit of a treat for you to get ready for this game. Stephen Brooks, who is the Michigan State reporter for our uh, 24-7 sports site, uh, is all over Spartans football, and he gave us about 25 solid minutes of conversation. You'll hear that later. Uh, This is a crossroads moment for a team that is really coming in needing, sorely needing some positive momentum in Michigan State's case, as as Stephen will get to. It's been a tough, challenging year, and there's beginning to be a little bit of concern and speculation that it may be the end of an era at Michigan State. So you'll hear about that more, Uh, but (laughs) momentum couldn't be much better right now for Penn State. Coming off the whiteout victory, if you missed our post-game podcast, we gave you about 45 minutes on that game. Some of the key things coming away from that, very, very late, I guess you could say early Sunday morning as well, um, and from Beaver Stadium. So head back and check that out if you missed it. Uh, we're going to shift focus a little bit forward, but before we do that, Sean, uh, we got a lot of recapping to do because it was a busy recruiting weekend at Penn State and a beneficial one for the Nittany Lions. Huge recruiting weekend for Penn State. The sidelines were packed, about 175 recruits in total. Uh, About 45-ish guys with Penn State offers, maybe a few more than that. Uh, And that's outstanding, Penn State offers. We're not even talking about commitments and things like that. But Penn State did nab a pair of commitments since then. Now, if you you look at these whiteout weekends in the past, uh, the action typically you know, happens afterward. It's not, uh, it's not one of those things where like a lash bash or a junior day where you're expecting three or four guys to pop on the day of the game. Uh, this time was no different. Uh, Nate Bruce, as we talked about a little bit on Saturday night, popped before the game, uh, Harrisburg offensive lineman. And then on Sunday got word that Liam Clifford, of course, uh, of the Clifford family, uh, he, 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 Jumped on board on Sunday afternoon. So uh, I can't think of a good pun or a good joke to go with that. So you're just going to have to deal with it. But uh, yeah, that's that's the way it's going. Uh, Penn State is going to uh, benefit from this immensely. We're going to talk to Steve Wilfong, a 24-7 sports director of recruiting uh, in a little bit. But uh, to, let's start out with the commits. Nate Bruce came before the game. Interior offensive lineman, about 6'3 and a half, 320. He's a high school offensive tackle. Not particularly developed at this point. Um, if you look at the other guys on the board, you can kind of see uh, you know, a, l- a little bit more, uh, I, w- I would say long-term potential, uh, uh, growth and things like that. Nate Bruce, probably going to be an interior guy at the, at the next level. Penn state labels all their interior guys as guards or centers. So it, it, it really remains to be seen where he ends up. Uh, the, he, he camped twice for the staff this year. They're particularly impressed. Uh, they liked his work ethic. They liked his physicality. Um, you know, he, he seemed to stick, uh, you know, carrying a little bit of extra weight, but he seemed to work through that and did a nice job. Uh, obviously, the Harrisburg pipeline's been very big for Penn State. Micah Parsons been there, Damian Barber. Uh, now you got Nate Bruce. So um, it's it, it's one of those guys in state you want to lock down. You, you're not going to take a ton of guys that are 6'3", 320, but he's an in-state guard uh, that makes sense to take uh, and and really sort of build this uh, build this class from the inside out because 
when we're talking about tackle targets, we're talking about uh, offensive line targets as a whole, Penn State had a bunch of them there on, on Saturday. Yeah, the first big man in this class, which, by the way, tripled over the weekend, the 2021 Penn State class. And, you know, really the theme of this weekend, I think, overall, aside from the the grand uh, festivities on the recruiting trail, it, it was the offensive linemen that were on campus because we're talking about a group where uh, if you can hit hit it with a few of these guys, you, you could be putting together a very impressive recruiting class. Nate Bruce, as you said, I, I wouldn't put him at the same level right now as some of the uncommitted players we'll talk about. Uh, but again, I've mentioned this in the past, have a pretty good relationship with his offensive line coach at Harrisburg. Uh, hopefully I have a chance to talk with him uh, and put something up on the site sooner rather than later. But I can tell you the intel on this kid is he was super excited for that Penn State offer. You and I both put crystal balls in immediately. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if as his you know, development continues and into next year in the spring camp circuit. If he goes out and puts on a nice showing, if you start to see SEC programs, some ACC programs uh, begin to show interest there. But to get him hammered home early uh, in this class out of Harrisburg, I think it's going to be tough for anyone to kind of wriggle him out of that. And, and uh, you know, it's always nice to have uh, commitments that you feel really good about long term. Obviously, Penn State dealing with with some ebbs and flows with those commitments over the course of this 2020 recruiting cycle. So. He feels about as sure of a thing as you can talk about at this point, still 14 months away from being able to sign. Um, I like that addition, but again, I really like what else they brought. And, and it starts with those guys in the perimeter. Always want a bunch of tackles. Always, always, always want a bunch of tackles. Uh, Rucci, Tengwall, Milam, Lee. I mean, it is. it was a who's who, and it was kind of a... Uh, it was an abundance of riches in terms of tackle prospects that were on campus. And, and I think they're in a good shape with lit- literally all the guys I just mentioned. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I've got uh, crystal balls in for Landon Tangwell and Tristan Lee. Uh, of course, Nolan Rucci's a guy that, uh, you know, obviously the connections are there. What Penn State's looking to do all the time is is recruit tackles and make them guards. Uh, so, I mean, you're, you're talking about those four guys that we mentioned all project as tackles. But, you know, I could easily see Landon Tangwell ending up as a guard. Uh, maybe Tristan Lee. Uh, Caleb Tiernan was also on campus this weekend. He's a tackle that, uh, you know, probably could go both ways. Kid from Michigan. So w- what they have here is an opportunity for a cornerstone of this uh, 2021 class. And I think, uh, the, you know, it, you don't want to get ahead of it too early because at this time last year, we're talking Bressy and Fleming and, and things like that. But uh, this time you're talking Nolan Rucci and Landon Tangwall. I mean, if, if you can land a pair of five-star or borderline five-star offensive tackles to start your class out. Now, granted, those guys don't look like they're they're ready to jump on board just yet because they've got uh, tremendous opportunities out there. Tangwall is going to visit Michigan uh, this weekend. Uh, Rucci was at Clemson last weekend. So I think there's you're going to take some time and put into them. But you got to like where you're standing if you're Penn State. I put in a crystal ball for Tristan Lee even. Uh, really fits the profile of what Penn State's been able to do, especially in that Northern Virginia and that DMV area. Um, the, the, the type of kid that they've pulled out, the type of family that they've pulled out. And he made three visits to Penn State in the last two weeks. So Got to like where you stand with offensive line recruiting right now. Uh, might be a little bit of a slower trickle now that Nate Bruce is off the board, but you've positioned yourself with those top-tier guys. And really, I mean, it's about cultivating what the area gives you, what the region gives you. And right now, the region's looking really, really good in 2021. 
and I've mentioned this before, I think whichever program gets Landon Tengwall on board, they're also getting a built-in class leader. He's very clearly shown that he is not a guy who's going to back down from BS on social media, and he's also very clearly been a guy who does give props to other prospects, whether he's competing against them in, on camp. I think he's just a very well-liked uh, among his peers, and considering he's, what, a, t- a top 40, top 30 guy in 24-7 sports ranking, he carries a lot of clout. So uh, he, he's somebody, I think, whatever class gets him, they're also going to get someone who's going to put in a lot of work as a peer recruiter as well. I, I agree Speaking with of you peer- there. I, I, before you get into your next point, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think I don't know that Rucci is the go out and recruit guy, but but Landon Tangwall really uh, resonates with several different uh, demographics. I mean, he's got uh, he, he's obviously a good council kid, a private school kid, but really, I mean, just really fits in with ever with whatever group he goes into. So I think if you're looking for a leader of that 2021 class, and obviously you want to get him on board sooner rather than later, if you're looking for a leader of that 2021 class, I mean, you could do a lot worse than Landon Tangwall. Yeah, and speaking of peer recruiting. Pretty much built into the Clifford conversation, right? Liam Clifford getting that offer uh, as, as his older brother, Sean, was watching and, and helping Ricky Ronnie work with the quarterback. So he was very much involved. Sean Clifford was standing about 20 yards away, as was James Franklin and Ricky Ronnie, uh, during kind of a, a, a condensed workout session at the end of that camp uh, back this summer when they, they selected just a, a few wide receivers who stood out. I think they all ended up either having or now have a, a scholarship offer from Penn State from that group. Liam Clifford's one of them. We were wondering, when this might happen um, and he chose to do it on Saturday after after watching his brother you know put up four touchdowns in, in front of the country and, and it was a, a great weekend for the Cliffords I think everyone who watched the we didn't see the postgame stuff you and I on, on in the interviews until after we were done work and uh, but seeing Sean Clifford in the national spotlight speaking with KJ Hamler on ESPN very much a kid who was loving his life and I have to imagine when, when little bro said I'm coming too. Uh, you know, you can't ask for much more. And that, that announcement went public on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, Steve Wilfong had the story that uh, Liam Clifford let his brother know after the whiteout win, and that's got to be, you know, a couple of wins for Sean Clifford. They're pretty close. Um, they've also got a little bit of a sibling rivalry. It was funny. Uh, when when Liam originally bro- bur- burst onto the scene, he went to a combine in the Midwest, and he ran, I want to say, in the 4-4s, which he, he's not really a 4-4 kid. He ran a 4-5-6 at camp last year, but uh, on hand time. So he's a four high 4-5 four, low four six kid is where I would put him uh, but uh, Sean took issue with that because Sean knows or Sean thought he was faster than his little brother uh, I don't know that that's going to work out of course we saw throughout the first half of the season everyone talked about how much faster Sean has gotten since he's gotten to Penn State we'll see what happens with Liam Liam's very interesting you mentioned that cl- uh, that camp that he was a part of Norval Black was there Malik Mega was there Christian Fitzpatrick who just flipped from Washington State to Louisville was there and a couple others Anthony Liam's- Ivy I think was another yeah. one who ended up getting an offer you're right. Ivy was there, 2022 kid who was also on campus this weekend. Mannheim Township kid, really talented uh, group of 2022s from from Pennsylvania on campus. But we'll get to that later. Um, going back to, to Liam Clifford, I mean, he he flat out stood out. And I know the connections there and everybody wants to, to I guess, put them side by side with, with Sean and say, you know, maybe he wouldn't get an offer without Sean there. I don't think that's true. I, I watched him. He he's he he had all the movements of a really good football player, potentially a slot guy too. And you don't really think of that when you think of uh, of a of a six one one hundred ninety pound kid. Um, so I, I was really impressed with Liam. Put him on my all camp team along with uh, I think he was with Dante Thornton was on there and Caden Prather who was there over the over the weekend. Liam Clifford was in there and Norval Black. So. 
I mean, I, I, th- I thought a lot of him. He was very good at camp. I, I do think it's an offer that Penn State would have made if it wasn't Sean Clifford's brother. And I think that's probably the, the thing to take away from it when you're trying to develop or to, trying to decipher if this kid is a, is a Big Ten worthy wide receiver. Yeah, he was, he impressed. I mean, he was better than I anticipated. I, he was very smooth running routes and he was pretty broad shouldered. I mean, he, I wouldn't qualify him as a, as a large kid right now, but, uh, I would say compared to maybe where Sean was at that age and, and his development, this kid may be more physically advanced. They have some great stories. This can be fun if, if they do get a chance to play on this team together in a couple of years down the road. Um, <laughs> Even before then, the stories that'll come out are pretty great. They they were very competitive. They grew up lifting weights. Grew up sitting in the basement with dad, watching college football all day Saturday. Sean talked about that last week, and 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 being on game day and having his team featured on game day. They lived, eat, and breathe college football and football and football. And so it's a very rare opportunity, especially if you're talking about a possible possible quarterback wide receiver connection. Because as you reported, Sean, not necessarily pegged to a particular position just yet. Well, more importantly, we now have somebody to ask besides KJ Hamler about their relationship with Sean Clifford and how close <laughs> they've gotten. Uh, but no, I mean, uh, Penn State took Liam Clifford as an athlete. So what's that mean? Uh, he could still end up at wide receiver, no doubt, but really not pigeonholing him into one position. He does a lot of things for St. X out in Cincinnati, play some wildcat, play some running back, uh, play some safety if he needs to. Wouldn't be shocked if he ended up as a safety long term. I still think he's a, a, a wide receiver by nature, but it also gives you the flexibility to uh, to recruit wide receiver in 2021. Uh, it, it's almost, I think this happened with Shaquan Anderson Butts a couple of years ago. You know, it it turns out that, you know, people watch this receiver recruits watch this kind of stuff. So um, you're talking about maybe taking three, three receivers in the next class. Well, now all of a sudden you slot him as an athlete. I mean, it gives you a little bit more flexibility. You look at what was there on Saturday night. Caden Prather's a guy that I have a crystal ball pick in for the Nittany Lions. He's been up a bunch. Zaki Wheatley, same thing. Crystal ball pick for, for Penn State. He could also fit that athlete bill. J.J. Davis was up from South Carolina. Jaloof, Jaleel Farouk from Maryland, uh, also a big target there. And Dante Thornton, who was the first commitment and obviously opened up his recruitment in August, is still out there. So a lot of talent out there. I, I came into the weekend highlighting offensive line and wide receiver uh, for a reason because it looked like they were about to get started there. And on top of that, just the talent at both of those spots warrants maybe uh, taking an extra look at some guys. When Sean Fitz speaks, you listen, and, and there you go. And, and Dante Thornton did show some love to Liam Clifford after that commitment out, out on Twitter. He's a guy that we're going to continue to monitor, obviously, now surveying his options. Didn't mention this, so this will be an, uh, at the start of the show, so it'll be a nice little surprise for our listeners. We got Steve Woodfong as well. I mentioned Stephen Brooks. We'll talk about Michigan State with him a little bit later, but it's always great to get Steve Woodfong, National Recruiting Director for 24-7 Sports on to break things down. He's been paramount to the coverage for the whiteout recruiting stuff here on Lions 24-7. And without further ado, here's his conversation with Sean. Going to the phone lines now to bring in the big gun, Steve Wiltfong. Steve was talking to recruits, I think, before the pass even dropped in the end zone at the end of the fourth quarter the other night. Uh, Steve, obviously another whiteout in the books, another impressive showing for Penn State. And another opportunity for Penn State to showcase their product to prospective recruits. And these game visits are certainly big uh, in the 2020 class in the aspect that you're bringing your commits on campus and they get a chance to soak in the atmosphere and it's another reminder for them of why they chose to play their college football in Happy Valley. And then, of course, Penn State had the two official visitors, top 247 tight end Theo Johnson and the big uh, frame body uh, out of West Virginia in Sean Martin, 
Uh, so you're, you're putting the finishing touches on your 2020 class and Penn State ranks number 12 there nationally and, and looks to be trend, trending up some of these remaining targets. But these game visits are really more about, in my opinion, uh, setting the tone in your recruitments of the junior class and even the sophomore class. And Penn State had a ton of offered guys in town uh, in their junior and sophomore classes. And that's a credit to the recruiting department and all those guys and and the area recruiters for getting early relationships with these kids and and making sure that they were on campus and in the house for this one and taking care of in the reaction uh, from these young men. Uh, It seemed like I I feel like I talked to 95% of the guys that were there that held an offer environment. And uh, it seemed like a lot of them got time with the staff before the game. So uh, a big game for Penn State against Michigan. And, and, and these coaches are finding time to give these guys a, a couple minutes of their time on game day and letting them feel part of it, you know, uh, from Coach Franklin shaking hands and, and taking pictures to his assistants just having some dialogue with these guys on the field. Uh, before the game looked like it was a pretty seamless deal and I've covered uh, whiteouts closely now for three straight years and uh, it hits the bullseye every time uh, from a recruiting standpoint and and I can't say the same for uh, the execution at other places. Immediate impact Penn State with two commitments so far coming out of the whiteout weekend Nate Bruce was you know really all but expected but Liam Clifford uh, another guy that the, the crystal ball pointed to Penn State as well but, you know, what do you think of the two pickups coming right out of the weekend? Well, you put that crystal ball in for uh, Liam before the visit, and, and Nate was trending for a long time. So I don't think the game impacted either. Obviously not for Nate as he committed before the game. And I think Liam's plan, uh, although I guess I can't say for sure, was to commit uh, coming into the visit as well. Uh, I think it, it this will help them land some other guys down the road. I think this was a tone setting visit for a lot of 2021s. Um, But as far as uh, Liam, I think that he's real interesting. He's just a terrific football player. I've seen him in a camp setting a couple times and he's a guy that's always flashed uh, even when he was extremely young with his speed. I mean, this is a young man that can really run. I don't know if he has KJ Hamler speed, uh, but he's a guy that will be one of the faster players in the Big Ten, and he's just a natural, tough, hard-nosed football player. And I think he'll be a a very impactful guy uh, at Penn State. You put in a couple of crystal ball picks this week, and I think probably the the one that's going to turn the most heads, Tristan Lee, offensive lineman out of Virginia. Of course, Penn State had a great group of offensive linemen on campus over the weekend. Lee was one of those guys. You had Landon Tangwall, who you spoke with. Nolan Rucci was on campus as well. Of course, Nate Bruce and a couple of other guys. But uh, what about Lee really, uh, I guess, made you make that jump? Well, uh, and again, you were ahead of me on the Tristan Lee pick uh, over the weekend. I had talked to Tristan earlier in the fall. This was at the very least a second time visiting Penn State. If there's a third, I don't remember it. Um, but he had a great visit. Um, I kind of forget which game it was. It's he, um, as the season's starting to run together. But he was in town earlier this year. He was, really he was here experience. three weeks ago, his second second trip in three weeks, which obviously raises an eyebrow there. Yeah, and, and so I just think that he has a really good relationship with the staff, and uh, I think that this time around he really saw the energy and the support that Penn State gets from the community, and, and I think that Penn State is the is the bar, and I, I try to I try to have my crystal balls be what I think the current pulse is when users come to 24-7 Sports Network. 
I want them to be able to come to profiles and, and see this is what I think today. And I'm not afraid to make a switch. And there was a time I, I had Penn State early on for Landon Tangwell. Uh, Penn State offered him in camp. They were one of the first offers. And, and I thought that they were the early leader. But there was a time in that recruitment where Notre Dame took the lead, at least from the intel I had. And, and so I had Notre Dame forecasted. But I'm back with, with Penn State. And uh, um, this visit, I think, uh, was another uh, opportunity for Tengwa to get back and see why he loves Penn State so much. And I really like where they stand for him. Uh, he's visiting Michigan this weekend. I expect him to take some officials before deciding. Um, but I, I think Penn State is the one to watch for Landon Tengwa. Yeah, you made a couple of 2022 picks as well. Caden uh, Saunders, one of those. Uh, it's just it it seems like they're building a base right now. And we talked last year, we're going into the 2020 class, how they could have had momentum. Of course, they stalled late in the year and it sort of uh, stunted that growth. But 7-0 and right now, you seem to, to see more of a base building with that 2021 and 22 class. Well, the results are obviously helping Penn State um, on the field. And, and they have for the last few years. I mean, Penn State last year didn't maybe have the year that they wanted to have, but it was still a pretty good year. Um, and, and the two years prior, they were knocking on the door of the college football playoff uh, with the Big Ten championship included in there. And then you add James Franklin and, and at the top and how important recruiting is to him. And he's got a, a staff of guys that work hard on the trail. And and these young men are have as good a relationships with Penn State as they do any other program, if not better for a lot of them. And uh, these young guys are getting to know Penn State staff uh, really well, very early. Um, Caden Saunders told me Penn State leads. So those are the easy crystal ball picks. Does that mean Caden Saunders, or does that mean Penn State will lead in six months? I don't know. But um, today they lead, and so my pick is in. And, and uh, I think that Penn State has set the bar for a lot of these uh, young guys that were on campus too. And many of them live in a proximity where they're going to get back many times in the future. Some of them don't as well. You talk to Stephen Ortiz from Arizona, Jordan Hancock from Georgia, Bryson Estes from Georgia, uh, even out where you're at, Rodney McGraw from Indiana. I mean, you talk to some of these guys. So how important is it? You know, you, you know about the guys who can make the trip on a weekend or can make a trip on uh, on any given Saturday in this in this region. But when you got your one shot for these guys, like we like I just mentioned, how important is it for them? And and what what did you gather from those guys that maybe come from a different part of the country, come from a different atmosphere of college football sort of thing. Well, you, you brought up Jordan Hancock, right? So he lives in SEC country and he tells me the environment was electric and uh, favorite part of his visit was talking to James Franklin at midfield before the game. And he said his visit was a 10 out of 10. Now he's going, he lives in Georgia. He's been in SEC country. They have some really good atmospheres down there. Uh, this Penn State one, I believe, was the best one he's been in. And uh, um, Penn State staff, I can't imagine this trip just came together in four days, right? So uh, he's a guy that Penn State's been working on for a while, and this was targeted. And it was a priority for Jordan to get to Penn State. There were a lot of good games and uh, closer to home for him, and, and they get up to Happy Valley. And, and, and Ortiz um, – there's definitely a lot of good buzz with Penn State right now. Talking to people close to him, uh, top 247 cornerback out of Arizona, uh, Oregon, and Penn State were the top two, and that was before he stepped on foot. 
in in state college. So um, I, I think that this visit moved the needle, and and Penn State may have the edge. Uh, no one's told me that, but I wouldn't be surprised uh, if they have the edge for him. And the Penn State's got some guys on their staff that have national recruiting brands to them. I mean, obviously we've talked about a, a lot about uh, Jaywan Sider, um, but Coach Banks is from the state of Michigan. Coach Jared Parker's recruited in a lot of places. Um, the DMV is always going to be important to to Penn State in New Jersey and of course in state. Uh, but they got guys on staff with some chops elsewhere. Of course, everyone's going to come back and look at the 2020s. You don't have a pick in for Theo Johnson right now. There's only four picks on the uh, crystal ball, and actually two of them are are of teams and two Penn State picks and two cloudy picks. Uh, are you any closer to, to to seeing that one? I know you've followed Theo closely. I know he's been tough to track down after the Penn State visit. We haven't had much luck there. But uh, what do you think about uh, what kind of impact this visit could have on Theo Johnson? Well, I had Penn State early for Theo, and then I think that it it got I crystal balled him back in January when I saw him at the All-American All Combine. Um, I, I still my gut still tells me Penn State. Um, I think that I was the biggest challenger. I know Georgia's in it, and, and uh, there was a lot of Georgia buzz in the summer. And I think Georgia's still working it pretty hard now, and and he's going to Michigan this weekend. There's other. I have some colleagues that think Michigan's in a really good position. I'm not saying they're not in the top four. I believe they are. I just don't see them. Uh, I, I just, for some reason, don't see them going there uh, based on some things that I've picked up. But maybe I'm wrong. Um, and we'll see how his visit goes to Michigan this weekend um, as he'll be there for the Notre Dame game on his official for that. But I just I think Penn State's in a really good spot. He told me coming into this visit, it was more about finding reasons not to go to Penn State uh, or not necessarily find them, but seeing if there were any, any, anything wrong with it. Cause he hasn't found anything wrong with Penn state all the times he's been there, uh, going back to camp prior to junior year, uh, when they offered him and, and, uh, he was back a couple times in the spring. He's been, he's, um, he was there in July, uh, for last bash. Um, he went to the Buffalo game earlier this season when they played his brother and James Franklin made it a point to, go shake his brother's hand pregame. I mean, they're on this recruitment. I mean, they love Theo. Uh, Tyler Bowen's been incredibly uh, involved and in, in, in touch with him and, and just so many staff members. Um, I, 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 I like Penn State, but this is one where it's at the point now where I'd like to have it better than I think it's Penn State uh, to, to log my next pick on him. No, it makes complete sense. Uh, finally, we're going to close uh, 2020. You know, still a long time until signing day, but Penn State's quarterback situation there. You know about Caleb Williams. Garrett Nussmeyer was up last night. Uh, they're in with Jake Rubley, uh, Christian Bayou, just a couple of guys. It doesn't seem to be a slam dunk in that 2021 class among quarterbacks. You talked to Nussmeyer. You've talked to Caleb Williams in the past. I mean, any thoughts on, on how that's developed in the last couple of months? Well, Caleb's Williams family says all the right things about Penn State. Um, he's playing the a juggernaut part of his schedule right now. Um, so he didn't make it to the whiteout. I don't take that as lack of interest, but I don't know if I'm like close to picking Penn state for him or anything. I think Stanford and, and, and Georgia and, and some others may be in a better spot than Penn state right now. Uh, Nussmeyer has been on campus a couple times now. It's clear. He really likes Penn state a lot. Um, he also likes 
LSU. He's been there, and, and uh, he went to Georgia earlier this fall. I think Penn State's near the top of the list for, for Nussmeyer. I don't know if that if they're one, two, or three, but I think that they're in a very good spot. Christian Ballou, they, they, they do a good job with those Canadian kids, and, and uh, they're close with Christian Ballou's camp. I don't know. You would know better than me if, how hard they're pushing there. He has an offer. Um, but uh, I, I look at who Penn State's recruiting right now at quarterback in 2021, and, and I think that the interest from Garrett Nussmeyer is very real. And uh, obviously, Coach or Garrett Nussmeyer's dad's an NFL coach and a longtime college coach, too. So they're going to make a, a decision um, to put Garrett into his best position as a player. And I think that uh, Penn State's proven that they've had players of his uh, skill set be successful. And, and so, um, you know, we'll see. And then obviously Penn State, they're going to get out. And, and uh, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some more offers down the road, depending on what shakes with these these guys. Not sure when we'll have you back on, but want to talk 2020 one, one last time. Anything you're watching as Penn State gets close to signing day. Of course, you got Theo Johnson out there. Guys like Jalen Berger, of course, R.J. Adams, uh, that storyline is pretty fascinating uh, a couple times over. Sean Martin's still out there. Jordan Morant uh, was supposed to visit but did not make the trip this weekend. Uh, is there anything you're watching from a 2020 standpoint in, in terms of what Penn State needs and how Penn State can finish, especially given the the extreme lack of space that they're going to have going down the stretch? Yeah, well, lack of space because they've done all the hard, most of the heavy lifting right now, and it's another good class that supplements what they've been building on the trail, I think that Penn State, when you look at how they play athletically, they can go toe to toe with the best of the best in college football. And I, and I know they got some games in front of it, but I'm just so excited for uh, the, the Ohio State game. And uh, this is a team where before the season, I got a lot of questions about uh, from from just various media members asking me about Penn State and all these young men being in the transfer portal and uh, people looking for me to maybe even say something negative. And I just, these guys are in the transfer portal because the younger players are better. Um, and uh, Penn State's got some really good young players on their team right now. And, and so finish obviously be on Theo, um, you know, do appear to be in it for Sean Martin, but that's more me reading your coverage than what I've heard myself. I don't have as much good intel there other than um, in early August, I thought West Virginia had a huge lead for him. Um, Jalen Berger, if, I, I still think Penn State's got a really good shot there. Um, I know he's pretty quiet and keeps things close to the vest. It'll be interesting to see what Rutgers, who Rutgers hires and what kind of slam dunk they make um, with, with the head coach there. Um, I could see him being maybe the bell cow of Rutgers class. Um, LSU is a school Brian Doan recently reported as, as being uh, firmly in the mix there. Um, and I kind of like what they're doing with RJ Adams in the sense that, um, I mean, Penn State, they don't need to, they can, they can play from a power position on the trail. And uh, I don't know what's ultimately going to end up happening with RJ Adams, but it's obviously pretty clear that he wants to be back at Penn State and he's doing all the things on his end to do that. And if he does end up in the class, Penn State's making him earn it a little bit. Yeah, 
Yeah, I would definitely agree with all that. Of course, you, you, I usually agree with everything Steve has to say. He says it on our board at Lions 24-7. He says it on Twitter at SWiltFong247. Steve, thanks for the coverage this weekend. You did it, uh, I, I think you even did it with your, your your wife out of town. So that's more even more impressive. But uh, we appreciate Steve anytime he can stop by. Uh, tremendous insight. Give him a follow. Give him a listen. He also had KJ Hamler's mother on the Notorious uh, B1G podcast this weekend, uh, or excuse me, this week, to talk a little bit about his choice in picking Penn State and not picking Michigan to Michigan State. If you're not already listening to that, subscribe to that podcast. Check it out. He and Alan True, excuse me, do a, a really good job. But Steve, thanks for uh, coming on, and we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for having me. Love being part of Network at Lions, the Lions Pride. You got a great board, and you're one of the all-time greats. Fitz, see you guys. Have a good one. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. And we're back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Thank you to Steve Wiltfong for jumping in with us. Uh, always great uh, insight and analysis and things like that. He's uh, he, We're pretty lucky to have him, as well as Brian Doan, Alan True, all those guys uh, that contributed throughout the weekend. Uh, we're going to get back into it a little bit more recruiting talk. Uh, I know this is uh, something we've probably been a little light on during the season, but with the whiteout here, might as well make it happen. Like I said, 45 plus guys with Penn State offers. They're still offering guys. They offered Keon Saab, a five-star kid in the 2022 class that was there last night. Uh, just as soon as we got on the podcast, uh, Jason Anyi. Uh, a, a defensive end from Rhode Island who was there uh, over the weekend. He picked up an offer. So, the, you know, they're still working out the, the, the stuff from the weekend. First off, we're going to start off with a couple of official visitors, Theo Johnson and Sean Martin. Obviously, Penn State tight on space in the 2020 class. Theo Johnson's a guy we've been talking about for about a year and a half now. Seems like we're finally starting to see the end of the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. Johnson will take an official visit to Michigan before he wraps up his recruitment. It's going to be, you know, it's it's still one that's very much up in the air. I talk to a lot of people that, that have a tough time reading what Johnson, you know, is putting out there, which is not much. We haven't been able to catch up with him since the uh, uh, since the visit. I still like where Penn State stands based off of, uh, you know, prior conversations with him, prior conversations with, with, with sources. His relationships, I think, are the thing that went out. And I think that Penn State has, a, you know, a better one than anybody else out there. Yeah, there seems to be a, a, a confidence level on a couple campuses right now, and I know Iowa is one of those, and of course he was in Iowa City when Penn State visited for that matchup, but he has seen a lot of Penn State football, and, and, and I think when you line up 
for an offensive weapon, when you line up those three teams right now, Iowa, Michigan, Penn State, I think there's very clearly one program right now that is uh, quite a bit more explosive in the passing game and, and, and than the others at this stage. And if that makes the impact, obviously there's more that goes into a, a college decision. But and, and then Sean Martin, who I thought, by the way, uh, he's a really impressive looking kid. Oh, he's big, man. He's about six five and a half, two fifty five ish. And uh, I mean, I think he stays at defense. He's kind of like a Smith Vilbert type of build. He's just a big, yeah. big kid. And you can see that there's athleticism in there. I think his senior film looks pretty great. Um, it, it's going to be interesting with him because Penn State got him on campus fairly early uh, for for official visits. I still think uh, Kentucky's out there. They're going to get a visit in December, and then he may take it into January and February. And that's going to, uh, I guess cause an interesting dynamic in this one. Number one, because Penn State's, uh, from a Penn State aspect, the space, there's not much there. I mean, it, granted, you get to signing day, you you have a clearer picture of where things go. But when you get into January, and we've seen it in the last couple of years since they adopted the early signing period, is they've made it really interesting on some kids that maybe just take a, you know, take a bump or go up a, a level or two in their recruitment just because of the space that's available. Can see that happening with Sean Martin. He took an official visit to North Carolina uh, before he committed there. And then Penn State's official visit was his second one. So, you know, he may have two visits to play with in the new year. That'll be interesting to see if Penn State's still on him at that point because they want him right now. But it, it, you never know what, the, what this thing is going to look like a couple of months in the future. Had R.J. Adams back on campus this weekend. Of course, guys out there like Jalen Berger, like Jordan Morant, just all over the place. Uh, so not a ton of 2020 targets uh, left on board, but uh, still some some potential for, I guess, some some surprises down the stretch. Yeah, when someone like Martin indicates that maybe a February s- signing is is in the cards, like th- that used to be the only time to sign, and now it almost feels peculiar or just kind of catches your eye because you're anticipating these kids are going to wrap things up in December. It'll be interesting because I think if the more Penn State continues to win, the more they continue to, to grab the national spotlight well, I mean, there could be some doors that open up for them on the recruiting trail between now and the early signing period and, and, and you know, mid to late December uh, that, that could put the squeeze on some kids and maybe force them to really take a deep contemplative thought about whether they're willing to pass up on a scholarship now and and, and think that they'll definitely have it available in, in you know, late January and early February. Last year, you know, Penn State w- was a lot more active after the early signing period. Uh, Darkwa, um, Vilbert, correct, uh, and, and you also had the wide receiver TJ Jones, and, and then Jake Hardy, Hardy late. Was there. Yeah, right. Whereas the first instance of this whole process, when you had the early signing period, uh, a lot of people, you know, just a reminder, Jason Owe did sign during the early signing period, although he didn't announce on, until the, the one of the All American games, so he was already on board in December. The only big fish out there that they were, you know, that you were really fixated on was Rasheed Walker, who ultimately did sign with them. But it was a very different story last year, and I think maybe part of that is the fact that uh, they didn't exactly roll into December with with a ton of momentum. But right now, you know, back to back night games on ABC, a mid afternoon game now on ABC, uh, number six ranking. I mean, there is a lot of opportunity to continue to generate momentum on the recruiting trail, and and with only a few spots left. Um, you know, you could see them maybe be in more of a situation that they were after the 2017 season heading towards the early signing period than last year, where there was a lot more loose ends, it felt like. 
And uh, yeah, and for the sake of balancing it, that, that out, of course, they went after Nick Cross late. He ended up with Maryland. Dewan Jones, the offensive lineman from Indiana, ended up at Ohio State. Uh, Doug Nestor, of course, was a big one down the stretch. He ended up at Virginia Tech. So you're not going to bat a thousand on those kids down the stretch. But uh, Penn State, they, they think they got some players, especially Darkwa and Vilbert. I think those are the two that uh, you know you really look at as those January type kids. I mean, they're 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 certainly. Uh, really, really raw, both of them. Uh, but you, you give yourself the physical upside, and you also give yourself an idea of what you're going against. At, at, you know, at, at, as the calendar turns into the new year, uh, as we mentioned, the R.J. Adams uh, saga continues. I, I mean, again, I, I don't think it's much clearer. I mean, your your analy- analysis off the uh, off the podcast was John Cusack holding up the uh, the, the boom box, um, everything short of that. I mean, that's pretty much where we're at right now, but uh, it doesn't seem to be coming back around. And, you know, that's something that when you get closer to signing day and you can figure out what, what your space looks like, you can figure out what the rest of your class looks like, figure out if you need a guard, uh, figure out how that impacts your 2021 class. I mean, that's it's kind of a rock and a hard place type spot for RJ Adams, but uh, that's, uh, I guess, the path that, that he chose when he, when he took that visit to Kentucky and, you know, dealing with the fallout right now. Yeah, every time and I'm he sorry. comes back I, to camp. You told me not to tell tell anybody about the, the John Q. Seth yeah. thing, and I'm sorry about that, but I had to. We'll, delete, we'll, we'll totally delete that from the podcast, right? You're not going to, you know. Okay, yeah, well, it was, a, yeah. Yeah, it, was, uh, it was a visual that came to my mind. And, and I don't mean to make it in jest because this is a young man's future, but very clearly he's coming back to campus and leaving, not being a member of the recruiting class, it gives you every indication of where the situation is right now. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, like I said, it's going to depend on numbers. It's going to depend on, uh, you know, where they stand in a couple of different classes. And it's going to depend on what's still out there because, you know, with 27 commits, I think they're 27 right now. There's just so many of them uh, with 27 commits. I mean, that, that obviously does not leave you many spots. You know, it t- takes away some of your uh, transfer portal flexibility if you're trying to bring in uh, transfers or, or, or potential difference makers in your program. But uh, it's it's tough to say where that one goes a couple of months from now. All we know is R.J. Adams wants back on board. Penn State's just not ready to take him. Yeah, and so there's also obviously a lot more going on in the 2021 class. Some of the 2020 pressing issues we just discussed with, with those guys taking officials and, and R.J. Adams coming back to campus and some of the other names that you mentioned. But when we look towards 2021 and Penn State trying to build that up, um, you know, interesting report from Alan True coming out today. Uh, and again, he did great work with a lot of this coverage, as did Stephen Bryan. Um, Jalen Mines, kid out of Oak Park, Michigan, uh, projected to play safety, six foot one, 190 pounds. Uh, you know, he's telling it. Alan that he's coming out of this visit uh, and, and no one is on top of Penn State right now. So you know, obviously there's an example of forward momentum. And another one that I can report firsthand is, is Steven Ortiz, someone that we discussed on the uh, on the, the second podcast last week and the fact that he was coming for his first appearance, but he has his father's family in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and his dad's an East Coast guy at heart. He, he may be the best overall defensive prospect in Arizona, and I think when you look at 24-7 sports rankings, he's the number 13 cornerback overall in 2021 class. This reconfirmed for him that Penn State is a place he can see himself at. Um, he wants to commit in May, and he says that Penn State will be definitely getting an official visit. Now, a lot can happen between now and April, which is the earliest he can take an official visit. Uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, he, he came away very impressed from his time with Terry Smith and the cornerbacks. He was already very high on Penn State coming in. He, he's got a lot of family in the area who have stressed to him over the course of his childhood and, and adolescence that Penn State is 
has a hell of a football tradition and he experienced it as, as firsthand as he possibly can with the whiteout scene. And, and he just said it totally for him basically re-solidified the fact that he was already leaning towards an official visit. I think this pretty much locked that in. Well, it feels like Penn State has some options out of region and they're getting these kids on campus earlier. Uh, you mentioned Stephen Ortiz out of Arizona, Jalen Mines out of Michigan, which is kind of the region, but kind of not. Uh, he's a teammate of Enzo Jennings, by the way. So that, that has something to do with it. Jordan Hancock from Georgia. I think Penn State really made a really positive impression on him. Uh, Jordan, uh, I knew I was going to mess this up. Jordan Oladokun uh, from Tampa, uh, a friend of Jordan Miners, who, you know, is still on campus with the team, even though he's not playing. Um, you know, he made the trip up. So I think Penn State, you know, moving in that direction, especially in the defensive backfield and not really sure, like you mentioned with, with Ortiz, not really sure where they stand in April, but at least they got to look at these guys. They got some, some legit measurements on these guys. Uh, for the most part, you know how they run, know how they look, know how their film is, is looking in their junior year. So it gives you an opportunity for some of these outer region guys to make an impression, to, to, to really understand where you stand with them coming out of this visit. And I think that's important. Going back to the regular, the more regular guys that have been on the campus, um, just a couple of the biggest visitors that, that we were kind of circle on from, from our vantage point. I go to Derek Davis out of, of Gateway in Monroeville. Kid feels like he's been on the, uh, on the circuit for a couple, you know, for, for like five years now, but he's just a junior top safety. I mean, Clemson's coming after him hard. Some, some big time schools, Alabama's coming after him hard. Um, but Penn State did an opp- or had an opportunity to sort of get back in it with him to get some momentum back. I think they started out as the leader, and when it kind of opened up and he tried to look at some other schools, all of a sudden he got uh, you know he got wide eyed and saw and you know sort of took a step back. I think they made a really positive impression. He's going to come out with a a top listing in the near future, and I expect Penn State not only to be on it but near the top of that list. So. Derek Davis, if you're trying to get back into Pennsylvania, which is getting stronger after a couple of down years in 2019 and 2020, uh, 2021 class looks really good. And Derek Davis is a good part, a good place to start with that. Yeah. Another name to, to bring up here, Tevin White uh, out of the 2022 class. So we're talking about a, a sophomore right now, but he shared the backfield last year. Well, share is probably a strong word, but he he was the backup uh, second option behind Devin Ford at North Stafford High School. And of course, Devin Ford followed Na- Nana Seydoux to campus. They have a nice history there at North Stafford. And Tevin White, you know, maybe he does follow that one day. He was on campus. It was his second consecutive year coming to the whiteout. His first time with an offer came to camp earlier this year, and I can tell you, it was just exciting for him to see Devin Ford, and, and it was not a not a busy game for Devin. He had one carry for two yards, but it was exciting to see a former teammate, someone he has a very good, you know, established background with and, and has con- communicated with about his college experience, to see him on the football field in the center of it all with the whiteout out there in uniform, and, and, and Devin Ford's going to have bigger days ahead in a Penn State uh, jersey, but this was, I think it was a cool experience for him, a little bit different, because uh, he could maybe place himself in, in that in that uniform a little bit more knowing Devin and he says you know the comment conversations with Ford so far uh, he, he's just been impressed by how much Ford has learned during his young college career from J1 Sider and he'll definitely be back, be back at Penn State I would imagine several times again he's only a sophomore he's early and he's only halfway through his second year of high school so uh, you know nothing to really keep too much of a focus on but I think Tevin White is a good looking prospect and, and as I said there is established connections in his high school. Tyler, we got a first on the podcast here. I'm actually making a live crystal ball pick for Tevin White. Whoa. So I'll just save that prediction. It's something I actually said on the in the SO on, on Friday, and it's one that I've been leaning toward for a while, but uh figured you just kind of jogged my memory. So I opened pushed up you over the line it, with it. So. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes. Speaking of 2022s, uh, you know, a very important group made it up after the McDonough Mount St. Joseph game on Saturday, which was won by McDonough. Uh, Curtis, jo- excuse me, Curtis Jacobs, of course, um, you know, plays for that team. But his underclass teammates, 2022 defensive tackle Quan Williams, 2022 defensive end Danny Dennis Sutton. Uh, they're really good. They're really good. Uh, it's, uh, Danny Dennis Sutton is the uh, five, I think number six kid in the country, or you know he's a five star on, on, in the early rankings, and that's going to change. I mean, it's a very very early in 2022, but he's really high up there. Uh, really good looking player, and to get those guys back on campus is big. Uh, going back to the 2021 class, Isaiah Johnson made it from West Virginia. He's a teammate of Sean Martin, but kind of separate from that recruitment. I think that that's, that's one thing that people want to lump together is that the, the MS teammates, but Martin came up as an official visitor. So he had his flights and he had everything. Johnson made it up as an unofficial visitor on his own. So I think that says something. Johnson camped for the staff twice two summers ago, picked up his offer. I don't think he'd been back since. So to get him back on campus is big. Uh, staying in that area because Bluefield is right on that uh, on the border between what is it North Carolina and Virginia. Uh, Evan Pryor is down there in Charlotte, and this is a kid that they've gotten back to campus several times. We talked about him on the podcast last week. His sister goes to school up here. To get him back on campus repeatedly, I think goes a long way. I mean, one of the top targets in the 2021 class overall, one of the top uh, running back targets as well. So to get Pryor back on there is is huge. And then Garrett Nussmeyer, we talked about him last week a little bit. The quarterback out of Texas uh, you know obviously this is a kid that uh, you know has the pedigree has a lot of schools that are on him they know his name but he's really done some good things on the field this, this fall yeah and he has genuine interest and wrote up last week uh, that, that that he made it a point to, to make this trip and he didn't decide to do it until a week or two ago so this wasn't something they had planned for a long time um, you know, he's a guy who has indicated before a decision was coming this winter. Now it looks like more early spring. So I think the door is open to maybe get him on campus for an official visit. To just to remind our listeners, these aren't visits when you come to a whiteout event where, you know, the official visitors were treated like they were on official visits, I'm sure. But when you come to the whiteout event, it's very much more of a, a, a quick, you know, half hug and a hello, what's up? And then you're kind of more dealing with the, the recruiting assistants who are seeing you to your seat, making sure you're comfortable, making sure your questions are answered. But you're not really going to have a lot of one-on-one time with players. So I think Garrett Nussmeyer got that this summer when he was on campus, spent several hours with Ricky Ronnie, uh, got to check out some of the academic facilities with his father, who was a little bit busy coaching the Cowboys this past weekend, but I think when you look at Nussmeyer, I hope to catch not, up not that bu- uh, with not him. Not that busy. <laughs> not that busy. Uh, I hope to I hope to catch up with him again for a follow up. We've been in communication a little bit, uh, haven't had the conversation just yet. But yeah, he's he's been impressive as a junior. He has certainly taken strides. And, and when you talk about a, a young man who grew up in a household with with a guy who's been an offensive play caller for a lot of of college football programs, and now an assistant coach with a NFL program, it's just a different kind of recruitment. I think there's a lot less gray area involved, and there's a lot less room to uh, BS with a recruit like this not saying that Penn State would do that but I think there's just a lot more uh, this is a kid and and a family that's going to see through a a lot more than I think your average prospect would 
Yeah, I agree that the, the, the uh, 2021 quarterback cycle is going to be fascinating in my eyes because you've got Nuss Meyer, you've got Jake Rubley, who's probably going to take a visit later on this year. Christian Veyu is going to take uh, an unofficial visit in a couple weeks for the Indiana game. And of course, Caleb Williams is your is your number one no matter what. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out, to see if Penn State can sort of grab some of that momentum that they have right now and put it into quarterback because it's not the obviously not the position that they've really uh, struck gold with. Now, obviously, you've gotten Trace McSorley who you got three years out of, uh, you know, and turned into a, a pro prospect. You're hoping to do the same thing with Clifford. But, you know, what I'm talking about, uh, you know, Justin Fields. I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, the, there's no uh, physical talent like Justin Fields that has come, come through here. So um, it, we'll see how that goes in the next couple of years. Uh, I don't see Micah Bowen. I think I said it last week. I don't see Micah Bowen's scaring off anybody in the 2021 class. Uh, I think it might be uh, something that uh, kind of maybe helps Penn State in the long run. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, one final check in Penn State's class, or excuse me, the Pennsylvania class of 2022, shaping up to be a good one already. Four of those guys really uh, turning heads on Saturday. Makai Flowers from Steel High, Anthony Ivy, whom we talked about earlier from Mannheim Township, Nick Singleton from Governor Mifflin and Redding, and Ken Talley from Philadelphia, one of those DNs that's working with uh, with Dion Barnes this year. Uh, Penn State, I think, uh, setting the table for all four of those guys, and I. I could see, you know, I really could see them leading for all four right now. We'll find out. I mean, I know 2022 sounds like a long way away, but you look at some of these classes and Micah Parsons is the prime example, a really impressive in-state prospect. Obviously things took a turn in his recruitment before he came back, but he was committed, you know, midway through his sophomore year. And, uh, you know, whenever you can start to develop that foundation as early as possible, although, you know, it, it can get tricky because kids are going to see their recruitments expand and want to visit elsewhere sometimes. And, and that's a whole different part of it. But yeah, I think they've done a nice job getting their foot in the door and, and it looks like it's going to be a pretty strong in-state recruiting class based on a season and a half of these kids being in high school, of course. No doubt. Let's get back to Penn State football. Obviously, the news of the week, you went to the James Franklin's press conference today, and the news on everyone's mind is exactly where we left it on Saturday night. Noah Kane, why didn't he get the ball? Uh, why is everyone yelling? Uh, just kind of everything <laughs> going on with that situation. Yeah, loud noises. Um, yeah, I mean, we didn't, as expected, we didn't get a lot of uh, clarity from James Franklin. He's not really going to go down that road uh, too far in terms of one individual member of this backfield. He's been very cautious to do that since the earliest days of training camp, uh, really much wanting to, uh, you know, put all four of them into the same conversation as much as he can. Now, he did say him and his wife had dinner with Noah Kane this week, uh, you know, so uh, there's not a rift developing. <laughs> there's certainly nothing to worry about. I think uh, we've seen some people say, oh my gosh, you know, someone's going to sprint to the portal or someone. Yeah, I think right now you're, you're seeing guys do what they can with their opportunities. I think that the fans are probably, and, and we are probably fretting about this situation more than they are in that room. And, and the offseason will bring a lot of conversation about what's next because Keziah Holmes, who you spotlighted this week in his in his strong play at high school level, he's coming to campus. Kevon Lee's coming to campus. More talent. But right now, the guys we can focus on with, with Noah Kane, uh, you know, we'll find out. I, I think, you know, he was the second running back in uh, against uh, against Michigan. That was a bit of a change. And, and so you thought maybe we'd be seeing more of him. But of course, after that second series, he was tucked away until late in the game in the fourth quarter, had himself another nice little drive there. But yeah, that, that's the question. And, and we don't have an answer there. And, and also, you know, the X receiver position. Those are the two hot button topics. 
Um, you know, right now, Justin Shorter, Daniel George, look at the last couple of weeks since Shorter came back from uh, missing some time after that collision against Maryland. Now, the last two games, you've had both of these guys at what we understand to be full capacity. They have combined for one catch for 12 yards. That was Justin Shorter, to his credit, against Iowa. Aside from that, the targets have been extremely limited. We mentioned last week against or last Saturday against Michigan, you can probably count one combined target, although it, you know it wasn't even an apparent target, I guess. Uh, so it's a it's a question that when you ask Sean Clifford, which we did this morning, and you ask James Franklin, which was asked this afternoon, you're going to get kind of a similar answer in, in saying that. We believe in all of our wide receivers. Uh, you know, it is going to depend on what we're seeing on the other side of the football, from play to play, game to game, and whoever you know is the beneficiary of what we're looking at. They're going to get the football, but it's very clear KJ Handler is a targeted guy, and the targets are going to come and come and come. And 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 we've heard from James Franklin. You know, he wants ten to twelve touches for KJ Handler a game. Uh, Sean Clifford knows that. Um, and not sure if you heard this. Sean Clifford and KJ Hamler go pretty far back, Sean. And, and, but I think, you know, there is a little concern that maybe the offense isn't utilizing the, uh, all of its parts in a way that could even take it to a, to a better level. And I think, again, you look across college football, you look across the college football quarterback landscape. Penn State's in a pretty good spot right now on offense. They're not a juggernaut right now offensively, but they've been able to string together some touchdown drives, but it has been paired with those lulls that have been pretty confounding. And I think part of that is, well, maybe, you know, exploit some other areas of the football field. It's just, it's a, it's a position that's not getting attention right now. And the running back thing, I I just think you've got to come up with a game plan moving ahead that, I, maybe it wasn't the game plan going against Michigan, but you've got to get somebody more than five touches because, you know, if you love all four of these running backs, as we've said in the past, um, you know, I, I think you got to find ways to utilize them a bit more. And we've mentioned this. I'm not going to go down that road as much as I did Saturday. But again, Noah Kane is going to be the question mark. And if we're getting into the you know late second quarter uh, this game in East Lansing and he has three touches, People are going to say again, "What what's going on here?" And, and and especially if they're able to build a lead in this game, you know, he's supposed to be that closer. Uh, I don't know what to make of it. I had fellow reporters reach out to me after to try to pick my brain a little bit and say, "What what what do we make of what Franklin's saying?" Um, and you know, I, again, I think he's just kind of been repeating. He understands why we're asking the questions, but he's not going to shed any more light on the running back position. And you know, we'll, I guess we'll find out as it goes. It really is a week to week deal, isn't it, Sean? I think that the biggest thing that I take away from it, and I'm not going to yell and scream about Noah Kane because I think it's the running game in general that you're not uh, using to your full capacity. You can say the same about the X receiver position, but I, I just think that you're limiting yourself because of the quarterback. And I know that you've been, uh, you know, you've been very high on Sean Clifford. I've been a little down on him just based on decision making, just based off of you know how they've approached, uh, you know, making him or having him make the plays. And I think that really showed up on Saturday night. I think kind of mentioned this in the post game that a lot of those decisions uh you know to run the ball he, he had 11 carries and their backs combined for what 16 or 17 carries among them uh, that's just not going to work and I think you got to trust those running backs a little bit more um James Franklin said after the game they tried to take some shots and that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean throwing at 50 yards down the field I mean you're taking shots in the running game you're taking shots with uh you know in different aspects of things and I think that that's really um, the game is still just a little bit quick for Clifford and, and granted they're seven and oh, that, you know, <laughs> that bears repeating as it did on the post game the other night, but I don't think that they're, uh, operating at full capacity. And I think they they've really held back because.
because of it. Uh, you know, this offense is so centered around KJ Hamler and how you can get him the football. And I think that that really, you know, it, it's come at the expense of some of those other guys, especially that extra receiver spot. So I'm not going to yell and scream about Noah Kane, but I do think that the the running back situation, you know, could use a little bit more, uh, could go a little bit more under the microscope, really could do that uh, more in the film room in terms of uh, what you can get or how you can get Sean Clifford to get them the ball and how you can get them to set up in the matchups that they want because they're attacking gaps. They're attacking uh, different spots. They, they ran that wide play a couple times very successfully. And then they had it a couple of other times too, just taking a look at it and Clifford keeps the ball or Clifford does something else. So uh, the, like I said on Saturday night, I think James Franklin kind of alluded to this on Tuesday, but this offense is only going to go as far as Sean Clifford takes them. And right now, I mean, it's moving along at a pace. Granted, you got that defense on the other side. You got your special teams playing well. But it's moving along at a pace where it's probably going to catch up to them at some point if they, if they keep on this current plane. Yeah, Sean Clifford has been pretty transparent and very willing to take on the blame, I guess you could call it, or the responsibility of some shortcomings offensively at every step of the way. It's been post-game on Tuesday. Uh, Justin Shorter was brought up. Some of the running game stuff was brought up. And, and at each turn, he is quick to say, that's on me. As I get better, that's going to take care of itself. And I think that's and, what's and kind of it's actually It's actually kind of funny because he's taking the blame. And people you know, that, that we hear all over the place, whether it be media, fans, or everything, don't want to give him the blame. And he's he's saying, here, give it to me. It, it, it's my responsibility. It's my fault. And everyone's saying, well, it's Ricky Ronnie. It's it's Matt Limegrover. It's all this kind of stuff. He's taking that on, but nobody's really deflecting that on to him. And and I'm, you know, I, I'm willing to deflect that on, to, you know, listen to what he says and, and sort of absorb that. And I think that that's that's really a funny reality of the situation is that he needs to be better. And maybe, you know, he, he's getting by, you know, to, to, to blow out Purdue, to blow out Maryland. But, you know, they, they struggled against Iowa. They they, they, did, they scored 17 points against Pitt. Obviously, you know, they looked really, really good against Michigan, then went back into the shell. I mean, you're going on the road against a really good Michigan State defense this week. You've got, of course, Ohio State or, or actually even Minnesota beforehand. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he continues to progress because he's going to, you know, it's he, he can't be up and down this entire season and get away with it the whole year yeah that's I think that's really that this is going to be the determining factor on whether this is a team that wins you know 10 11 games this year or or maybe does go to Indianapolis and further beyond as a competitive championship contender you're looking at a team again I think I've I don't know if I mentioned this on Saturday I don't think I did but they're now up to doing my math here very quickly uh 36 total touchdowns and all but two of them, 34 of the 36 belong to someone who's a redshirt sophomore or younger. So that's what's kind of tantalizing about this. And, and you've got a quarterback who started seven games and there's just, there is a lot of room for growth. And, and you know, that, that's kind of what you wonder about Penn State, because if that switch does flick, I mean, you are talking about a, a juggernaut here, because I think there is not a lot of concern that this defense is going to, you know, fall apart during the course of this season. So if you compare that defense, which has been quite consistent and they've shown the ability to close games and avoid some, some, you know, some late issues and obviously a drop help with that against Michigan. But you know, I think if you compare that with more consistent offense, Sean Clifford said himself, he feels like the most complete game they've played offensively came against Maryland. And that's not the litmus test that you need to pass to, to get to Indianapolis and beyond. So I think that that's obviously the concern there. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100% there, and yeah, they, they, they've got to be better. Uh, one thing that's going for them right now that I don't think a lot of people have, have caught on to is that offensive line is actually playing pretty well. 
And this is something we've highlighted over the first half of the season. Guys like Michael Mennett and Will Fries have played well. As of late, Steven Gonzalez has been pretty darn good at guard as well. And Rasheed Walker has sort of come into his own. So still coming together as an offensive line, but really probably better, you know, uh, upon second looks, upon taking a, uh, you know, just a, a comb over the film. I mean, this is a pretty good group. And they were recognized this week. I think they were put on a watch list for one of the better groups in the country. So to get where they needed to get, uh, I think they're getting there. Obviously, there's some tests ahead of them. Michigan, I thought, uh, you know, that's a big test. That's a good football team. And, and I know, you know, you, people don't want to hear it because they're 5-2 and two and they're not going to go to the playoff like people said and everybody likes to hate on Jim Harbaugh. But Don Brown coached, a, uh, you know, after that uh, initial onslaught from, um, from Penn State, they could have gone into their shell. They didn't. They kept coming after Clifford, really made it tough on him, really, uh, you know, made that Penn State offense take, uh, take a step back on their heels. Coached a really good, I guess, uh, final two and a half quarters did Don Brown. So be really interesting to see how that Michigan team ends up and how, how much you can take away from that from a Penn State aspect. Thought the offensive line did all right. Uh, and, and moving forward, I mean, you, you obviously Michigan State, every year that you play Michigan State, they're going to be tough up front. They're going to, the front seven is going to give you problems and, and you're going to see something weird always happens. So um, we'll see how this group continues to, to gel. But right now they're playing pretty good football. James Franklin was quick to point out a few times over the course of his press conference on Tuesday that they just played one of the more athletically gifted and talented uh, teams in the country. You know, say what you will about how Michigan's being coached right now, how they're executing in games. Uh, They've recruited at a level where they have assembled some serious talent that goes to the defensive group, that goes to the defensive line. And and as we'll hear in a moment from Stephen Brooks, who covers uh, the Spartans day in and day out, that's still a strong suit for the Michigan State team. They've got some issues at cornerback, it sounds like. They've definitely got some offensive issues. You want to talk about what Penn State fans are dealing with? Try being a Michigan State fan watching this offense, where it's gone uh, over the course of this season at times. But I'll, I'll tell you what, the offensive line does deserve a tip of the cap. Uh, Steven Gonzalez uh, split uh, with K.J. Hamler, the, the player of the week nod from the staff. We're going to have Mike Miranda after practice on Wednesday, so we'll be talking about the offensive line a bit more. But by the way, that award, the Joe Moore Award, I think it's only the fifth year of its existence, but it, 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 it goes to the most outstanding offensive line group in the country. Last year, it went to Oklahoma. This is just a midseason honor roll list right now, but it, it's a you know it's a, it's a pretty impressive group overall, uh, and Penn State's part of it and James Franklin says you know the these are this is the end game for them they want to get to the point where they're being recognized and he said wouldn't it be quite a statement for his for that group to go out and win it this year I think that's probably asking a bit much but it it is a sign of improvement we were talking about would there be signs of improvement we didn't necessarily see them in August based on what we saw in the practice field we've seen it this season and and you've got to give credit and there's been seven guys involved consistently with Des Holmes and CJ Thorpe out of the starting lineup but getting out there on the football field depth has helped them the talent level has helped them and you know Matt Limegrover done a pretty nice job as well I suppose it's it's funny because watch lists are essentially meaningless but for for this team to or for that group yes. to be on an offensive line watch list which they obviously haven't sniffed in the last couple of years I mean that 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 says something about how far they've come along yeah, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Urschel is the last offensive lineman to, to get a first or second team nod in, in the Big Ten. Um, I, I know Bates, uh, so that's been a while when you had one of the guys considered you know, a top 10 offensive lineman overall across the conference. Uh, and I, they've got, they're in that discussion this year. I think we, it starts with Mennett, but uh, he's not necessarily alone and someone who's taken their game to an, up another notch. And with a young player like Rasheed Walker and, and you know, <laughs> 
it's not just this year. You, you think and Rashid Walker, he 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 tweeted today when they when he saw about that midseason honor roll, he went out and said it. The culture has changed in the offensive line room. They have a chance to prove that against Saturday, but I think that's what everyone's been asking for, including James Franklin during recent years. So there you go. They look like a confident bunch right now. Not not so much, you know, that, that, that they're overwhelming teams or they're, you know, running the 94 offense power where they're just killing guys. But uh, they look confident. They look like they, they want to be there, which, you know, I, I think James Franklin kind of stopped himself short. You asked him about that in the press conference today, uh, where this offensive line was is in a culture. But you, you look at last season, I don't think it's a stretch to say that some of those guys had already checked out. Um, one of those guys that probably already checked out is back this year playing left guard. So, I mean, it's uh, it, it's really interesting to see the development, to see the, I guess, the rebuy-in. Uh, I think going, you know, the, the way that Fries has played has gone a long way with solidifying this group putting Rasheed Walker out there, an immense talent at left tackle. I, I mean, it's just, it's a really, really good coaching job by Matt Lime Grover. And that's, you know, not something that we saw ourselves saying a couple of months ago. Yeah, we're in game three of a three-game stretch where we said we'd learn a lot about this team, but specifically the offensive line. They're not getting exposed so far. They're not over, they're not overwhelming opponents, but like you said, but they are not getting exposed. And, and that was the issue in years past. They were getting exposed and it was putting Penn State in rough situations, especially late in some of these games. So, uh, yeah, tip of the cap. that We gave the linemen some love, and, and now we're going to give Stephen Brooks some love because he joined us for Michigan State's beat on 24-7 sports. So we'll continue this extra-long edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast with that conversation and take a quick look now uh, at this upcoming matchup. As promised, we're going to get a better view from the opposing side of this Michigan State-Penn State matchup here early in the week. Stephen Brooks, who covers the Spartans for 24-7 Sports, is his second uh, year with 24-7 Sports doing just that. And we're very happy to bring him on to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Stephen, uh, thanks for making the time for us early in game week. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. I always, uh, I always enjoy doing this. It's, uh, you know, I'm sure, as you know, it stretches a different muscle than than just writing and writing and writing all the time. So I'm always happy to, to take a couple minutes and uh, chat it up a little bit. Well, we were just talking before we started recording about how peculiar the situation is for Michigan State entering this Penn State game in terms of the fact that this game is sandwiched in between two bye weeks. Michigan State was off last weekend. They're off next weekend. Uh, you know, Penn State's got two bye weeks this week as well, or this year as well, but one's in mid-September. The other is the first weekend of November. Um, how is the team handling that? What did D'Antonio have to say about that? Obviously, it just seems very peculiar, as I said. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it totally is. You know, they're going to play one game in a three-week span. Uh and in, in late October, that's that's just a weird feeling. This is sort of the year, you know, the time of year where you're really gearing up uh, to play your best and to play your biggest games, at least for, for Michigan State. That's been the case recently um, with their bigger games later in the year and whatnot. So it has been odd. Um, I think they took it a little bit easy uh, on the last week, uh, you know, in the first one. So the, D'Antonio talked today a lot about conditioning, actually, uh, more so than even just getting out there and getting the taste out of your mouth from back-to-back losses to Ohio State and Wisconsin. Uh, he talked about conditioning and getting in better shape for this last stretch. And, uh, you know, mentally it's just sort of on to the next thing. Uh, it was kind of his refrain today. You know, it is it is what it is. They're removed from that now. And um, we'll see how they respond, though, because, I mean, obviously the response from Ohio State going into Wisconsin was not what you, what you wanted to be or needed to be because uh, they got hammered even worse. So now – you know, they're going to get another opportunity, obviously, to respond against a really good team. So um, it'll be interesting. But I think there was a lot of uh, sort of self-reflection and um, 
and maybe a couple challenges and everything and just like hey like you know if you're gonna fold then get out basically because we can't let this thing uh go all the way downhill like it has in a couple previous years you mentioned getting out kind of perfect segue into the fact that there have been there's been a, a slew of transfer portal entries from the spartans roster um, are folks on the beat attributing that to, to something in particular? And very clearly, uh, this is a program that, you know, between 2010, 2015, five of the six years, they go and win at least 11 games. Uh, they go 3-9 and nine, 2016, come back with a 10-win season in 2017, but, you know, 7-6 and six last year, 4-3 and three so far, a couple really rough losses on the road at Ohio State and Wisconsin. Most recently, as you said, 38 nothing. And then you throw in the fact that there's a bit of an exodus in the locker room. Uh, is this a feel like a program at crossroads? And again, why are players leaving from what you gather? Yeah, so it does. I totally understand that the optics are not good. Um, and uh, I asked Antonio a little bit about all that today, and then we can get into that. But um, basically, also, it's six guys that have left since the middle of the season. Um, and just the reality is all of, none of them were starters. Um, and none of, you know, they had all either were never playing or didn't see a clear path to playing time or were role players behind younger guys. You know, they had been leapfrogged by players who were younger. Uh, so in that sense, you sort of understand, like, unless you want to sit around and, and accept, uh, you know, a lesser role and, and let your eligibility dry up, then you can understand again, somebody wanted to go and, you know, this is a very limited window to play college football, and if they want to play more, like literally play more, uh, then then it's best for them to move on. So they they, like I said, they they didn't lose any key guys necessarily, or anybody that was really um, uh, you know, had a concerning reason to leave. As far as we're aware, it's just uh, like I said, older guys getting passed up by younger guys and want to go make another shot for the most part. Um, but I do, like I said, I totally understand. Uh, the optics of it because they are doing they are not doing well on this on the field and this is all sort of trickling out mid-season which i don't think anybody really foresaw with the advent of the portal and everything um i don't think any you know it seems like sort of an unintended consequence in, in a lot of ways with the with the mid-season stuff at least um so yeah what, what was the next part of it sorry well, I guess the, the initial question is, you know, throw that into the fact that there have been rumblings about where Mark D'Antonio stands now. And, you know, he's got 111 wins with the Spartans, uh, you know, very clearly has left a lasting legacy with the university. And as I said, a hell of a span in the first portion of this decade. But is there a sense that maybe confidence is waning, not just, you know, within the program, but obviously what matters a lot is perception in the fan base. And, you know, where is that stand right now with Michigan State, especially as it's had to have felt like a very long bye week considering they suffered a 38 nothing loss going into it? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so the, the fans, um, I don't, I don't want to paint too broad of a picture, but I, I feel like it's pretty accurate. You know, the fans are starting... There's, there's unrest. There's definite unrest, I would say, probably amongst the majority, you know. I mean, you know we deal with sort of the, the real diehards and the most passionate folks on on our boards and, and uh, comments and things like that. Um, you know, I, I don't think many people who just tune in for their 12 games and that's all they watch of Michigan State football, they might sort of just be like, eh. But I still think the majority um, that, that gives, you know, that gives it any of their time and support um, – beyond you know those three hours i think a lot of people are starting to turn in a way that that really hasn't happened under d'antonio like three and nine came right after the playoff year and that was like a total stunner 
Um, but you know, as that year played out, you sort of understood what was going on. They had a really crazy uh, high-ranked recruiting class for their standards, and had some diva personalities. Uh, had some had had a bad guy in there, you know, and some some not great dudes uh, on campus that were causing problems and um, and things like that. So that whole class has almost left the program by now. So that thing, anyway, that you know, three and nine could be explained, and then. Uh, Seven and six last year, they had a bunch of injuries, and that was after a 10-win season. They had a, a crazy amount of injuries, but still the offense was terrible. So there have always been sort of these reasons where even the most staunch, like, uh, D'Antonio defenders could always point to. And this year, it seems like a lot of people are given, you know, not giving up hope, but a lot of people are really starting to turn. There's a sense that um, he's not willing to make the changes necessary, and uh, there's a sense that because he kept his whole offensive staff. You know, they ranked in the hundreds last year in total offense and scoring offense. You know, they were down there with, like, Texas State and uh, Eastern Michigan and just, just programs that they should never be associated with. And he didn't fire anybody, and a lot of people really uh, were upset by that decision. Instead, he kept everybody on and reassigned all their titles, and it's been hit or miss this year. Uh, you probably heard the dumbass question, you know, response the other week after Wisconsin. That was a question about whether he regretted not changing his offensive staff. Um, they're in the 90s right now, you know? So it hasn't been great on that side. So people are generally concerned that he's not willing to make the changes necessary uh, or will be around long enough to, to care about, you know, the, the impact, uh, the long-lasting impact of that. And also just that things that might have gotten stale, you know? And, and beyond that, uh, there's a feeling that, you know, they went to the college football playoff. Only a couple of programs have done that. Only two from the Big Ten. Like, it, there's a feeling that, that they've sort of squandered that window there to capitalize and go all in from the university on down and really push this thing to another level. It's much like you saw Clemson do in the 08, 09, 10, 11-ish range where they were a good program, but then they just put all the money and, and resources into it and became elite, and now they're sort of here to stay. Uh, some folks feel like Michigan State had a similar opportunity after that playoff run, and uh, now it's sort of gone by the wayside. Yeah, it feels like, it feels like a while ago that a 2015 team that ultimately shut out by uh, Alabama and, and Big Ten teams have had a hard time. I, th- I don't think there's been a single point scored by a Big Ten team in the college football playoff since Ohio State won the inaugural tournament. Um, and, and Michigan State, part of that process, as you said, with their appearance. Uh, now, I can tell you there's there's some re- restlessness here among Penn State fans, and they've got a top 10 offense in a lot of different categories. So certainly can understand how the Michigan State fan base would be feeling, particularly with an experienced quarterback. Can you talk about Brian Lewerke a little bit? Because Penn State fans are familiar with him, and, and while he does not have Felton Davis, don't worry, Nittany Lions fans, he can't hurt you again. Um, but but I did see he was tweet he tweeted that he would be at the game, so he will be in the building, which is probably too close for comfort for a lot of Penn State fans after the last couple of years. But he's had a couple of his best games as, as Spartans quarterback against Penn State, particularly in key moments down the stretch. Um, you know, some really tough tough losses for Penn State. D'Antonio's four and one against uh, James Franklin uh, since Franklin got to State College. It, it just there's a sense right now that Penn State needs to exercise some demons against Michigan State. Uh, are the Spartans aware that they're probably going to get a pretty motivated, let's shall we say, uh, Penn State squad? Yeah, they've got to be. they got to be. I mean, they're they're definitely aware of how they ripped their hearts out last year. And let me just say real quick for your listeners, they, they probably don't care, but Felton Davis is a great dude. I don't know if they really hate him like that, but oh, they, no, a great, lot. Great they have They have a um, lot of respect for him. Oh, yeah, no, they have a lot of respect for him. I, and and I think they're just a little... 
They don't. They don't want to see him again playing against sure. this team, and they won't have well, to. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they've got to be aware. Um, they've got to be aware that they smell blood in the water because they, you know, Penn State obviously knows that how bad, well, not bad, but just the struggles Michigan State's been going through this year. Um, yeah, they've got to know that they're going to get a good game from these guys, uh, and the fact that you know they've had some great teams over there. Uh, Penn State has and haven't been able to beat Michigan State. Um, regularly, you know, with the, with some of those great teams. So, yeah, they've got to be aware, I would imagine. Um, with Lewerke, he's, uh, you know, the offense as a whole has been really up and down. Um, he's had some really good games. Uh, I thought he played really well against Ohio State, but the, just the points weren't there. They didn't finish drives. They had some um, turnovers early and whatnot. Uh, the production, you know, he hasn't led a productive offense game in and game out, but he personally has played pretty well, I guess, if that makes any sense. Um, the Wisconsin game notwithstanding, he was awful that game. That might have been his worst game uh, in, a, in maybe a since he's became a starter. But, you know, he's not the most accurate quarterback, but he's, you know, he's, he's a playmaker and a gamer. Um, he does show up big in big moments, as Penn State fans probably know. Uh, he's done that again this year. He's led a lot of two-minute drives, whether it's before the half or late in the game against Arizona State. Um, when they run tempo, he he's usually really smooth and efficient, and uh, they they can rip off a couple chunk plays. And for some reason, they they don't go tempo very often, um, even though it seems like the data is there that they should be. Uh, he's still he's running the he's getting back to running the ball this year, um, not like two years ago, but way more than last year when he hardly did at all. Um, more of a sort of a, they're not going to call a ton of designed runs for him, um, but he's dangerous uh, breaking plays off and you know getting 10 to 12 yards on a, on a random scramble here and there when he can break and break contain. Uh, that's where he's most effective. They will you know they do RPOs now. Um, they will run some straight zone read for him, but uh, for the most part, it's that impromptu stuff that'll really hurt you with his legs. Um, so that's sort of the book on him, I guess. Like I said, up and down. Isn't going to complete a crazy percentage, but uh, you know, sh- for the most part, most games will play well enough to for Michigan State to be competitive, um, even if the numbers aren't pretty. Well, there's a lot of talk, uh, uh, obviously, about the freshman running backs here at Penn State. Our, our listeners know that very well. Noah Kane, in particular, um, you've got a redshirt freshman that you're watching uh, in, in East Lansing, and we know that Michigan State's always going to want to be able to turn into that ground game. Uh, what's the scouting report on Elijah Collins, the redshirt freshman, uh, leads the team right now, 492 rushing yards, three touchdowns on the ground, and, and a pretty impressive average at, f- at five yards a carry? Yeah, he sort of came out of nowhere um, in, in a sense. You know, he wasn't even the starter in week one. There was an open competition, you know, going back to the end of last year. Uh, and he wasn't the guy in spring ball, wasn't the guy coming out of camp, wasn't the guy in week one. And then the things sort of sputter in week one with Connor Hayward, who's one of those guys who has since transferred out. Um, and they gave him Elijah Collins the start in week two, and he runs for 192 yards, and it's been his job ever since. So he's – um. I don't really have a great comparison for him. I wish I did. Uh, he's not the traditional Michigan State back. Most people probably associate with the program. He's not just a hammer back there. You know, he's more of um, he's a little bit in between because I wouldn't call him a pure speed guy either. He's got some uh, a little bit of bulk and, and strength to him, but he is really uh, instinctual and, and shifty, um, tough to bring down in a short space. And uh, what got him the job that these other backs couldn't do is he sees sees holes and feels blocks and um just runs with vision better than any of their other guys could 
Um, and with an offensive line that's uh, pedestrian at best and, uh, and and injured right now, but, you know, the offensive line that hasn't been good for many years now, uh, that's kind of what they needed is somebody to see things before they could happen or make a little bit out of nothing. And uh, he's been able to do that, though. Um, once he gets to the second level, he's dangerous. Like I said, he's not super fast or super shifty, but he's pretty adequate in, in just about every area where he's a really, really good back, I'd say, you know, really solid back. And I'm sure as our listeners hear you say that the offensive line for Michigan State is not necessarily a strength, uh, they begin licking their chops a bit because the defensive front here at Penn State has been pretty impressive throughout the season. Uh, not generating a bunch of pressure last week, but overall, uh, body of work is, is is really impressive for them, and that'll be a matchup to watch in the trenches. One more one more individual name I wanted to get to here because many, many people not, may not realize this because as much as there's been uh, you know uncertainty and, and concern about the Michigan State offense up in East Lansing, uh, they've got a wide receiver who right now leads the Big Ten in catches and receiving yards in Daryl Stewart. Um, is this a situation where... He is clearly, clearly, clearly the favorite target, and and if you can disrupt that, Michigan State's going to have a lot of issues. Is the uh, he should have more too, you know, because he's 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 dropped a good amount of balls this year. I don't have the the actual tally on it, but he's had a handful of drops, um, some in big moments. So yeah, it is surprising though to know that a Michigan State receiver is leading the conference um, like that. Uh, and like I said, it could be higher, but yeah. He's gotten almost double the targets uh, of anybody else, or double the receptions at least. Um, you know, he's—I don't—I still don't think he's their best receiver. He, might, you know, in, in terms of pure talent, he might not even be their second best. Uh, they got a sophomore who's injured, Jalen Naylor, who, who's uh, pretty impressive, and a freshman who's impressive. And but, uh, you know, he's just sort of a tough, um, dead, you know, senior guy. It's it's sort of a Michigan State thing. These guys have their best years as seniors. It's something D'Antonio always preaches, and he's doing that. I don't think he's been like electrifying by any means. You know, he, he operates out of the slot. Um, he can make some difficult catches, but the the drops will just make you scratch your head. Um, and yeah, Lewerke's looked toward him a lot, and uh, he does sort of have a a tendency to lock into guys for a couple of games. Like uh, maybe not for the full season, but for a three or four game stretch, he'll go to this guy a ton or this guy a ton. Um, Cody White, their other receiver, had number seven, hasn't really had the kind of year. You know that. The, the numbers-wise uh, year that Stewart's having is kind of what people expected for White. White was really supposed to step up into the number one role. So um, it's been interesting, but uh, I don't think it's the case that um, if you shut Stewart down, you're, you're going to be golden just because, uh, like I said, White, I would still say, is a better peer receiver. Um, there are other guys, and I don't think Stewart is – dominant enough by any means or, or you know individually talented enough where if you shut him down then everything else is a huge drop off it's not like if you it's not like if you lost to kj hamler and then there's everybody else um or if you put kj hamler on this team like everybody else would be clearly a step below him they're all fairly fairly even i would say so i don't think that's the case uh, i'm sure that will be a topic of discussion if kj has a big day in east lansing i remember during his recruitment he always would make it a point to michigan state because of his relationships with that program and obviously he ends up at penn state he's become a you know one of the more scintillating players in college football but we heard about it last last week with michigan and and he obviously went out and torched them saturday night and i'd imagine spartans fans will not be thrilled if they see the young man come back in, in, into the neighborhood and and do some bad things against their squad. Um, look, looking towards that Michigan State defense, because obviously they're going to have to deal with uh, a lot of weaponry at Sean Clifford's disposal. You're going to see 
four running backs, it sounds like, again, as we have. But, you know, uh, Pat Fryermuth at tight end. And, and and our listeners know all well and good about this personnel on offense and, and Penn State's efforts to try to capitalize on all that. Michigan State's defense, how much are they up to a task uh, of this nature? And uh, I know they've got guys who are on the preseason All-American list, guys who are on preseason All-Big Ten list. How has it kind of come to fruition for Michigan State, and who are the players that Penn State fans really need to be aware of in that defensive unit? Yeah, I'm really interested to see how they respond um, you know, against a challenge like this because they, they've been, they haven't been great at all the last two weeks. Uh, obviously, they couldn't get off the field against Wisconsin. They get up 38 points, but... They couldn't get off the field at all, um, which was partly, you know, a good hand of their doing, and the offense wasn't doing anything to, to help them out at all. But they couldn't get off the field, and then Ohio State blows open uh, 24 points, I believe it was, in the second quarter after they started pretty dang well. I mean, uh, Michigan State turned it over, fumbled their first two possessions in their own territory, and MSU only gives up three points off of it at home against Ohio State in a blackout. And I think that's that was pretty impressive, to be honest. Um, when they had Justin Fields confused a little bit, uh, he, he wasn't, he didn't look sharp very much in the beginning. And then, um, you know, one or two mistakes here and that can snowball on you against a team like that. So they haven't lived up to their standard. I mean, this was a team that ranked number one against the rush, uh, last year and this year, almost everybody was back. And the natural assumption was, uh, they're going to be pushing for the number one total defense. You know, they might be the best unit out there and that just hasn't been the case. Um, the, the corner play hasn't been uh, as good as, as people expected. Um, people have been able to get some big gains on them uh, in the way that, that Michigan State fans aren't used to seeing. You know, they've, they've seen missed tackles uh, from the back end in a way that they haven't been used to seeing. Um, and just generally, like I said, the corners uh, and the coverage isn't as tight always as it needs to be. Uh, Josiah Scott, number 22, still a really good player over there. Um, but he's had a couple down moments where he's gotten picked on. The other corner has been a bit of a liability. They've had a couple players playing there uh, because of injuries. Um, this week it'll be Josh Butler, who's a regular starter. But like I said, he's been up and down. Um, the front four is still really, really good. They've probably been the most consistent group of the whole bunch. Uh, Raekwon Williams in the middle, 99, and Mike Panashuk, 72, are three-and-a-half-year starters, basically. They started like late in their freshman year. Um and uh, they just don't get moved off the ball very well, or very often, I should say. Um, they're just, they, they do a heck of a job of blowing things up on the inside and just sort of crumbling the entire offense from the middle, and, you know, that causes a lot of chaos, and it sort of ripples out from there. Uh, Kenny Willickis is a name most people know. He's kind of had, a, not kind of, he, he has had a pretty quiet year, honestly. Um, still a heck of a player, just his numbers aren't really there. Uh, he's better against the run than he is against the pass. He's not really a dynamic pass rusher at all, but really strong, really stout at the point of attack um, on the edge. And, and Jacob Panashuk, 96, is actually their best pass rusher, uh, most consistent guy there. So the D-line, like I said, has, been, has pretty much lived up to par for the most part. Uh, Joe Bocci, linebacker, number 35, is one of the better players in the Big Ten for sure, I'd say. A pretty athletic linebacker um, for a Mike. Uh, you know, um, is, is a real side-to-side sideline to sideline playmaker you know that's kind of the best way to put him and i don't think you necessarily call mike's playmakers too often but he just he, he comes up and he's always in the middle of big plays um whether it's him making the tackle or him making the play that sets up the tackle but really really good player um they're excellent against the run for the most part again wisconsin it's kind of a different beast and everything and when ohio state gashed him although ohio state had about they had 300 and something yards and 170 of them were on like six or seven plays 
Um, just down at, you know, run, play in, play out, it is hard to run on these guys uh, because of that D-line, because of those linebackers who are mostly veterans. Um, the pass defense has, has left something to be desired this year, though, for sure. It sounds like Michigan State's susceptible to the explosive play more so than maybe the sustained drive. And interestingly enough, that, that seems to be Penn State's strong suit the last few years on offense is, is getting those chunk plays uh, and quick drives and, and, and moving the ball very quickly and using their athleticism. We'll, we'll find out, but it's an interesting scenario of this matchup. Uh, I'll leave you with this, Stephen, and, and thanks again for all this time. Um, Michigan State, for the first time in 47 years, is playing a third consecutive game against a top 10 opponent. October 5th, it was 34 to 10 at Ohio State. October 12th, it was 38 to nothing against Wisconsin. They're going to have their Hall of Fame athletic induction ceremony in East Lansing. Uh, does this feel like a game where it, it, it's going to be kind of a make or break for where Michigan State stands right now? If they were to, to, to win this game against Penn State, pull off an upset, does it feel like it would have the, the gravity to maybe turn around the perception? And in turn, if Penn State were to go up and, and whether they win by one or they, or they run run over Michigan State, what would a third straight loss against a top 10 opponent with two bye weeks surrounding it mean for this program right now? Yeah, so I think it is a it is um, a turning point. I agree with you because uh, you know the the Big Ten's out the window. Um, you know, obviously the playoffs out the window, and those were like you know at least internally those were realistic goals for them this year. Um, that's really what they thought they had. Uh, they thought they got healthy, they switched some things up on offense, and they got that same defense that was going to be you know contending for number one uh, in the country. And that mixture, you know, on paper all sounds great, but now like I said, the Big Ten is is out of there, the playoffs out of there. So it's like, is there, are they going to do anything that, are they going to hang any pelts on the wall this year? You know, can they, can they at least win nine or 10 games and say, Hey, we beat a good Penn state team. We beat a decent or good Michigan team. And we went and won a bowl game. You know, that's not what people wanted or expected at the beginning of the year, but a a good amount of the fan base would, would take that. Um, you know, you lose all three of these, you, you're really looking at Michigan as that last opportunity to do anything worthwhile. And at that point, I think the, the uh, unrest would be maybe even a more, a, you know, one or two notches higher than that, whatever that next level is, whatever word you want to use for that. Um, just because it would sort of prove that, hey, we're not even close to competing with the nation's best right now. And, th- and this type of game is what, you know, D'Antonio has always won and this program's always found a way to do. Um, just in terms of a good opponent at a big time, you know, uh, not necessarily coming off losses or anything, but just a, a, a good opponent that you respect coming in. You need it to feel, to get the vibes going the way, you know, that you would expect. Um, and, and Michigan State's has sort of always pulled these things out under D'Antonio, and, and it would feel like that magic is, is truly gone and dead, I guess, if they left, um, if, if people don't feel that way already. So more, more than anything, though, like I said, I think at this point you want to, get to the end of the year and have something to feel good about. Um, not just a win over, you know, some wins over Indiana, Illinois, Rutgers and Maryland and, uh, you know, the non-conference games and stuff. They want to be able to say, Hey, we, all right, we got Penn state, you know, and, or we got Michigan and then, Hey, let's go get this bowl game against whoever. Um, yeah, they don't want to end this year 
with uh, a bunch of you know um, empty calorie wins. Well, a couple teams coming in with certainly different momentum, but I can tell you one thing here in Happy Valley, I don't think any Penn State fan is taking this one for granted based on recent history. They're kind of throwing away uh, the, the records here, I think, in terms of what Michigan State's bringing to the table and where they've been so far this season because of how things have turned out the last couple of years. But uh, we'll find out. 3.30 kickoff on Saturday. I look forward to seeing you. And uh, thanks again for joining the Lions 24-7 podcast, Stephen. really means it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was fun. Thanks for having me on. Again, appreciate Steven taking some time out of his schedule. He's got basketball coverage he's underway with, too, with Spartans uh, as well. So appreciate that. We will catch up with you guys later in the week. We got a lot more to get into. Predictions for this game. Sean and I will take a a much closer look into the matchups that will matter, although you got a nice uh, preview of that from Steven. Obviously, there are some uh, areas of this Michigan State team that you'd think would be exploitable for Penn State coming into this one. And if that does happen, we're talking about an 8-0 Penn State football team heading into a bye week, chance to get a little bit of rest, get some fresh legs, and then hit the final third of this season with the college football spotlight certainly upon them. But they've got to survive this one in East Lansing. And as I mentioned with Steven, I don't think anyone out there is taking this one for granted regardless of how the Michigan State season has gone. Uh, For now, on behalf of Sean Fitz, and Steve Wolfong and Stephen Brooks. Wow, we had a lot going on today on the show. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you a little bit later. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast. I'm Tyler Donahue. Appreciate you. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.